There is an unseen hand to me that leads Welcome to the Unseen Hand Podcast, featuring the pulpit ministry of missionary evangelist Ronnie Brown. Listen in as Brother Ronnie shares the truth of the Bible and how God's unseen hand can lead and guide your life with each and every verse. This hand still leads me as I go. If you have your Bibles, I want you to take them to Jonah chapter number four. I mean, excuse me, Jonah chapter number one and verse number four. Jonah chapter number one and verse number four. For the past few weeks, we've been going verse by verse through the book of Jonah. And we are seeing the depths of the heart of God into the heart of the Lord. And I believe that on every verse and every chapter, we see, we see aspects of God's love. Love for a wavered prophet. Love for lost sinners. Love for those that are far from God. And I want us to look again at this story of Jonah, and we'll pick up reading in verse number four. Let's all stand out of honor and reverence to God's word. Change your position. Jonah chapter number one, and look with me at verse number four. Jonah chapter one, verse number four. Of course, last week, Jonah said no to God. He got on a boat in Joppa heading towards Tarshish trying to get to the furthest reaches of the unknown world, running from God. Now notice verse number 4. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was likened to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid and cried, Every man unto his God, and cast forth the wares that were in the ship onto the sea to lighten it, uh, uh, to lighten of them, lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmen came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if it so be that he will think upon us and that we perish not. You can be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And I want to speak to you on this morning on this subject. God sees even on the high seas. God sees even on the high seas. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you this morning. God, I thank you for how we've worshipped you. We have declared the goodness and the joy that we have in your salvation. God, your kindness, your your ability to see us through storms. God, I pray as we look at Jonah this morning, I pray that our hearts would make ready application. God, as we look at the life of Jonah, may we lie our lives beside his. God, speak. Do that unusual thing. The most amazing thing in the world. You take the story of the Bible. You weave it through the speech of a mere broken, fallible human. And you speak to the hearts of the people. God, catch us where we are. God, corner us. God, wake us this morning. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. Have you ever gone to Google Earth? The website that Google has and Just out of curiosity, you put in your address. Have you ever done that before? All of a sudden, it will zoom down onto your little state, your little city, your little neighborhood. And sure enough, 
You'll see your house. You'll see where you live. There may be a car in the driveway that is either your car or one that you traded maybe a year and a half ago. But in stunning detail, God shows us exact, or the uh, Google Earth, not God, Google Earth, some people think Google is God, but, uh, but God, uh, Google will show us exactly where we are. Have you ever picked up the little orange or yellow man? You, you pick him up in the corner and he dangles and then you place him right there on that spot and whoosh! Now you're looking not down at your uh, place of living, but you look from the side. You can see your mailbox number. You, you can see where you didn't mow the yard that week. You, you can see how bad your begonias are doing, right? And, and when we see that, we get a little unnerved. Are, are you, did, does that unnerve you a little bit? That, that Google knows exactly where you are. That he knows what shape your house is in. That he knows if you cut your lawn or not. Truth of the matter is, spy technology, spy satellites that we don't have access to do to on the internet can not only see where you live, but they can pick out little stickers in your window. They can know if you've passed emissions testing or not. They can see the very numbers on your house. They know it's, it's amazing with crystal clear clarity. They can not only see the trees in your yard, but they can tell what kind of tree it is and what condition your trees are, whether they need water or not. It's amazing what is available, what, what technology can do. And yet, and even though we get a little unnerved, uh, uh, we a little unnerved, we, we begin to wonder about our own privacy. But the truth of the matter is, when it comes to God, we somehow shrug off. His ability to see. His ability to know. We, we give little thought to the God of heaven that according to the Bible sees far more. The eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. Jeremiah 23, 4, 24 says this. God asked this question. Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him? saith the Lord. Do not I feel heaven and earth, saith the Lord. Jonah tried to run from the presence of the Lord and thought he got away with it. But God in His vision not only saw, not only saw the town of Joppa, He not only saw the purchase, uh, the purchase place where Jonah bought his ticket. He not only saw the ticket number and the boat he was on, not only did God see the serial number on the hammock that Jonah was sleeping on, God saw down into the heart of Jonah. No satellite. No, uh, no Google Drive. No car passing by your house with a camera on it can see your heart. God can. God saw the heart of Jonah, saw exactly where he was. And just like God saw Jonah, even on the high seas, God sees us. He sees us in our running. Each and every one of us that meets, uh, each and every one of us needs to know that God will not stand idly by and see every detail of our running. 
and pretend that his hands are tied. No, no, no. No, like in Jonah's case, God will go into action. God will perform. That's what we see in these, uh, these three verses here. God taking action. God's not going to stand by and let His prophet run like the wind and get as far away from he can, or as He can, thinking that God has forgotten about Him, thinking that God doesn't care. No, no, no. God begins to act. He begins to move and work. Notice, I want you to see three actions that God takes. Number one, God sends the storm. God sends the storm. Now the weathermen may tell us that a storm is composed of a warm front that comes through at a certain temperature and it meets a cold front going in the opposite direction and because of that there is increased humidity and static electricity and the, and the molecules of dust in the air will begin to form. Uh, uh, water will begin to form around those molecules and all of a sudden you have a storm. The weatherman may tell us uh, this, but behind the scenes, there is a God at work. Every blade of grass, every drop of rain from heaven, every wind that caresses our cheeks is controlled by the God of heaven. Notice, when we look at verse number, number uh, 4 in Jonah 1, I want us to see, first of all, God's perception is revealed. In verse number 4, although Jonah thinks he's on a boat and he's headed to Tarshish and nobody knows him, he's anonymous, nobody knows the stranger on the boat, God knows where he is. And God begins to go into action and he shows us his perception, God's revealed perception. Look at verse number 4, but the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea. You know, as I said earlier, Jonah tried to run from God. He thought if I could just get far enough away from Israel. You know, God lives in Jerusalem. That's where He resides. He hangs His name on that temple. So if I can get as far as I can away from that place, surely the Lord won't be able to see me. But ah, God sees that. He thought that if He was just an anonymous passenger, down in the tiny sailing vessel, in the middle of a millions of square miles of ocean, a drop in the bucket, a needle in a haystack that God couldn't see. But little did he know that the eyes of the Lord were tracking him as he walked down the boat dock. And as he, uh, he as Jonah, I can imagine Jonah. Can you just picture Jonah? As he's, he's already said no. He's made his way down to Joppa. He's headed down the boat dock and he's looking over his shoulder. God's been watching him the whole time. He's been, he's been looking behind him, wondering, wondering if anybody, does anybody know him? Has anybody seen him? And all the time, God is tracking him. God saw the boat number. He saw the cargo manifest. He saw the ship's layout. He saw the serial number on the hammock where, where, where Jonah lay. You know, we try to run and hide from God. We try to say no when His Word crosses us the wrong way. We want to hide our sins in back closets, under mattresses, on computer hard drives, on, the, on the, uh, uh, different places around town. We like to keep it on the down. We want to hide our sins from God. 
even in the deepest recesses of the human heart, you may say there's no evidence. Nobody knows. Nobody knows the bitterness of my heart towards my brother or sister. Nobody knows the lust of my heart, the constant preoccupation of adultery that's in my heart. Nobody knows the avarice greed that I have. In a, there's no place to track it. There's no place to find it. You'll not find it in the history of my computer. You'll not find it in my checking account. You'll not find it in the bottom of my basement. I want you to understand this. God sees it. He sees darkness as just as light. Are you trying to run today? Are you trying to hide? Long has God's word crossed your character, crossed your, uh, your mindset, what you want, and your goals, and your desires, and you're running from God this morning. Let the story of Jonah know you that God sees, that God knows, even if your most closest companion, your husband or wife, they have no idea what resides in the deepest recesses of your heart. God does. He sees it as plain as day. More vividly than any camera could show it. God's perception is revealed. Also, God's power is released. Not only does God see, but God acts. You ever been like a parent? And you told your child for the thousandth time not to do this. And they do it. You ever say, man, I just want to look a little way. I don't want to deal with it this time. I, I think I'll just let it go. I'll let it slide this time. I won't, I won't deal with it anymore. No, that's not God. God not only sees, but God acts. His acts of chastising, His acts of intervention may be long in coming. He may be long-suffering and merciful, but know this. It is coming. It will come. Notice the word sent out. In verse number 4, it said that the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea. The word sent out is translated from a Hebrew word that means to throw. Think about a baseball pitcher in the in Major League Baseball that nobody watches anymore. And, and he gets up on the pitching mound and he takes that ball and he comes back and he Throws it just as hard as he can. 89, 90, 95, 102 miles an hour. Right into the catcher smith. That's the word used here. Her. It's also used in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel 18, 11, When David was playing the heart for Saul. And Saul was filled with hatred for David. He took a javelin. Same word. And he threw it at David. It is a passionate, hard Throw meant to hit its target. Not unlike Saul, who missed his mark, David, God never misses. He never misses his mark. Proverbs 30 and verse number 4 says that God gathers the wind into his fist and he hurls it right to the mark at that little boat heading to... Uh, heading to um, Tarshish. God is the God of the winds and the seas. He's the God of the earth and the rivers, of the stock market and the job market, of the banker and the baker, and the, of the lawyer and the doctor. He controls it all. 
anywhere you try to hide, the influences, the servants of God are already there. And that's what, that's what this wind and the seas are like. They are the servants of God in this moment. It's like the sea is personified. Ah, here is the running prophet of God. Let me jolt my shoulder. Let me stretch my arm. And the sea rocks and reels at the command of God. The wind sees the prophet and blows as hard as he can. Oh, listen. God has at his disposal all the elements of this world. You are such a fool. You're a fool this morning. If you think you can run from God, if you can hide your sin and think it's all right with God, listen, He'll find you and He will target the storm at you. He knows the serial number of your sin. He knows the website address that nobody can know and nobody can remember. He knows the address of the person that you're flirting with adultery on. He knows exactly where you are. God can send the storm and hit the mark. Not only does God send the storm, but His second action is God sways the sailor. This was no slight disturbance on the part of these men in the boat. These were mariners. The word indicates rope men. No doubt these were Phoenicians. Uh, Hebrews were land lovers. They... They stayed upon the land. They didn't go out into the ocean. But Phoenicians were different people. And they were people of the coastline, of the sea. And they knew how to navigate the boat, the boat. They knew how to guide the sails. And yet look at verse number 5. And the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God. Verse number 4 says the boat was breaking up. At the command of God, that boat began to give way. Those nails and pegs became like jello and it began to fall apart. And these sailors who were, who were men of great navigation ability on the sea began to cry out. No, this was no little tempest or storm. We could reckon this to be some sort of hurricane. God takes His mighty hand and hurls a hurricane at the small vessel. This was a divine, perfect storm. You ever heard about the perfect storm? All the conditions were right somewhere up above Massachusetts of years ago. And the, the conditions were, were, were just so that the twist of the hurricane was like the utmost. Uh, it was the convulgence of all the elements to make the perfect storm. This was a divine perfect storm. Notice, I want you to see first of all, when we look at these sailors and what God did to them, I want you to see sins ripple. Sins ripple. The mariners were afraid and cried out, every man to his God and cast forth the wares of the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. Have you ever dropped a little puddle into a very tranquil and quiet pond? Maybe you go out into a, 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 back, uh, a back field on a farm and there's a, there's a pond there where the animals come to drink and, and there's no outlet, no inlet. It's just perfectly still. And you take, a, you take a rock and you hurl it towards the middle of the pond. Not only is the water disturbed where the rock went in, but you see those ripples. They begin to fan out in every direction. You know, our sin is a lot like that. 
Sin's never isolated. It's never on its own. It always affects other people. Jonah's disobedience has caused the life and death moment of these sailors. Their world is turned upside down because of a sleeping preacher in the bottom of the boat. You know, we see this this truth time and time again. Achan. Remember the story of Achan. Achan was one of the members of the Israelite people as they began to march through the, uh, the, the, the Canaan land under the leadership of Joshua. And, and, and the, 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 the Lord said, when you take Jericho, don't take any of its spoils, none of its riches. It's mine. I'll have it. It's the first. I want it. What did Achan do? Achan reached down and saw a Babylonian garment. He saw some gold and, he, and wedges of silver. He took it and he hid it in his tent. His sin cost the defeat of the children of Israel at Ai. His sin, one man's sin affected the nation. Soldiers shed their blood and died on the battlefield in defeat because of Achan's sin. When it was found out, Achan was judged. And not only was Achan stoned, but his family, his sons, his daughters paid the same price as their father for their sin. Korah. Korah rose up in rebellion against Moses. God caused the earth to belch and they were all taken to to hell itself. Listen to me. Your sin is not isolated to you. You may think, well, my sin is just between me and God. And all the while, you're putting your family in harm's way. With your disobedience, you're putting your mother and father in harm's way. Your grandmother, your friends at school. It's not just about you and what God will do to you if God's going to chastise. If God is going to chastise when they say, well, I'll bear it. I'll take it. Bring it on, Lord. I'm going to do what I want to do. And no, He takes out your mom and dad. He takes out your son and daughter next to you. They're wrapped up in it. God will do what it takes to get your attention. To bring you unto Himself. Your sexual perversion of sin, sexual pornographic sin, is going to ruin your marriage and destroy your children. Your bitterness and controlling attitude, your unforgiveness is going to choke your church and impact the expansion of the kingdom of God. Your cutting tongue is going to kill your career and bankrupt your company. Listen to me. Your sin impacts those around you like a pebble dropped in a pond. The ripples will reverberate through your sons and your daughters and your wife and your children. Are you running from God this morning? There's more at stake than your health. There's more at stake than your financial security. There's more at stake than you. It's your wife. It's your husband. It's your children. These sailors seemingly are innocent bystanders caught up in God's wrath after one preacher. Notice second of all, not only sin's ripple, but a sensible reaction. A sin's ripple and a sensible reaction. These sailors, when the, when the storm caught them, caught up with them, they were afraid and cried every man unto his God. These sailors, as I said before, were Phoenician. More than likely they were Phoenician sailors. They were pagans. The Phoenician sailors worshipped 
pagan gods, stone gods. Most of them worship the god of their hometown. You know, it's kind of like football. If you're from, if you're from Alabama, like Brother Bill here, well, then you're going to root for your hometown favorite, Alabama. And, and if you're Karen, well, you're an oddity. You still root for Alabama. But, uh, but if you're from Tennessee, why, well, you're going to root for the big orange. That's kind of like the way their gods were. I'm rooting for my hometown god, the one I was raised around. They were pagans. And yet, in this storm, they dropped to their knees and they called upon their, their god. So when they, were, when they were at their wit's end, their hearts turned to God. You know, I'm convinced that there are no atheists in foxholes. There are no atheists in hurricanes. There are no atheists hiding under a trailer when, a, when, a, when, a, when the tornado comes through. Every man will call on his God. They may talk a big talk about being an atheist, but when it comes right down to it, when it comes to the threat of injury or death, there is something within the heart of every human being that looks up to a God and calls upon that God. You may be here saying this is a bunch of bunk. That preacher, that old Bible's full of myths. I tell you this, put you in the right situation, you will drop to your knees and call upon your God. Not only is conscience within our hearts tell us there is a God, but creation, the heavens declare the handiwork of God. There is a God in heaven and when men are put in that right moment, in that right extremity, they will call upon their God. Here we find these men calling out to their God, calling out to their pagan God, but yet they have not the revelation of God's Word. Yes, there is enough to call us to, uh, to have us to call out to a God, but we don't know which God is the right God. Is it Dagon? Is it Marduk? Is it, uh, is it uh, Baal? Which God is the right God? It takes divine, a divine revelation to show us which God is the right God. Listen, if I ever get up here and start talking about my feelings and I feel that we ought to do this and I feel that we ought to do that outside of a business meeting, if I'm here preaching and I begin to say I feel this and I feel that, I want you to understand something. You can take it or you can leave it. But when it comes from God's Word, when it's thus saith God's Word, you better listen. It's the revealed Word of God. It's what God has to say to us. Here, these men are in the dark. And Jonah, and uh, Jonah, look at verse number 9. This is Jonah talking, and he said unto him, I am an Hebrew, and I fear the Lord of heaven. The word fear there is the same word in verse number 5 that talks about the sailor's fear. So Jonah's saying, I fear the God of heaven. And they're really fearing. The fear in the storm. Fearing, fearing for their lives. Jonah's a bit hypocritical in his fear. I fear the God of heaven. He's theologically sound and lost as a ball in high weeds. He knows all the right answers. He knows what to say. And yet at the same time, he is not struck with a real fear of God. He doesn't fear God. He's running from God. These men have a fear. But just, but God will use a backslidden, wayward prophet 
to bring the good news of the God of heaven to these sailors. I guess if God can use God can use a donkey to talk to Balaam, if God can use a rooster to talk to Peter, then God can use a backslidden preacher, a backslidden prophet to talk to these sailors and share the good news with them. Look at verse number 16. And the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the, unto the Lord and made vows. This is a picture of salvation. God used the declaration of this wayward person to bring these men to saving faith. These sailors also, they threw everything out. Look in verse number 5. Uh, verse, yeah, verse number, uh, number 5. And they cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea. And they threw everything overboard. You know, there's nothing like a storm to bring what is most important to the forefront. Your little gaming, your little playing Russian roulette with God's Word and God's judgment, your little pleasures of life uh, uh, seem to be everything to you at this point. It's what you're living for. Until the storm of cancer comes. Until the storm of unemployment comes. Until the storm of sexually transmitted diseases come. Until AIDS comes. Until divorce comes. Then you're willing to trade everything. All the things you held dear. All the pleasures in life that you ran to that were sin against God. You're ready to eject them and throw them overboard. And call out to the God. That's what happened to these. In verse 16, it was a picture of, of their conversion. They made the sensible response. Hey, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, you've never put your trust in Him, and you're in a raging storm and you're calling on Mama and you're calling on Grandma and you're calling on Grandpa and you're calling on your friends at school, I'm telling you, you're calling on the wrong God. Call on the God of heaven. Use me this morning. God, use me this morning as a wayward prophet to tell you the truth. Call to God. Call Him the God of heaven. Give a sensible response. Notice thirdly, not only the sins, a sins ripple, a sensible reaction, but a sovereign rule. I was listening to one of those graduation speeches, you know, that you have to sit through. Uh, Bob and, and Bonnie have been through 14 different graduations, I think, over the past few days. I, I've, been to, I've been to two, and that was more than enough for me. One of the students got up and he gave a graduation speech. And he basically said, hey, every one of us play the superhero in our own, in our own movie of our life. You're the main character. You're the star of your own movie. And everybody else around you are supporting cast members. But you're the star of your own show. You're the one that everything is all about. You're the center of attraction and of attention. We're all the super player and superhero and everybody else plays the supporting actor. We may look at the supporting roles of these sailors and say, man, that's just awful what happened to them. And they were just doing the job, minding their own business. And all of a sudden, because of Jonah, because of Jonah, man, they're fearing for their lives. They're all going to drown. We may, we may look at the sailors and pity them as, the, as innocent bystanders, but the reality is they have their own starring role in their lives. 
You see, from God's perspective and, and from the sailor's perspective, this has all been about me. I was the sailor down there in Joppa knocking them back and drinking my fill and, 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 and fornicating around in, in Joppa. I'm the wild sailor that, uh, that does whatever he pleases and fights and, and elbows and, and uh, bloody brawls. I'm the sailor in, in Joppa. From his vantage point, God's dealing with him. The sovereign God of heaven knew what these sailors need to turn them to God. And, ex- and orchestrated a preacher, although a backslidden, wouldn't give you a plug nickel for a preacher, to be on site and to point them to God. Maybe there was a disreputable merchant in Joppa or in Tarshish. He cheated people out of money. He was an evil, wicked man. And all of these treasures are getting ejected out of the boat. God's going to make him pay for his sin. I don't know. Could it be that the idols they threw down in the bottom of the sea in the Mediterranean, 2,000 years later, a diver goes down and recovers the idol? He, he goes and sells it to an art museum. He takes the money to his church where there is a woman who is grieving, doesn't know what she's going to do because her husband was killed in a plane crash and he takes the money and gives it to her to see her start a new Christian life. Listen, that's the way God works. You know, we, we sometimes have the, 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 the word in, in warfare where we call it collateral damage. If a missile goes to hit a bunker where there's ISIS members and a school child dies in the explosion, it's collateral damage. We wish it hadn't happened, but we had to do what we had to do. When it comes to God, there's no collateral damage. There's no fallout on undeserved. You know, when we see the airliner from France going to Egypt crashes in the in the in the Mediterranean Sea, we think, how could God? How does God? How does God let something like that happen? Listen to me. God knew the role. God knew the starring movie of every one of those individuals. He knew what their role was. He knew how he was dealing with their hearts. He knew what would take the, what, uh, how many times he had come to them with the gospel. How many times that they, had, they deserved the judgment of God. How many times he's been gracious and long-suffering. Every, he knows all the strands of wisdom and sovereign rule on everybody in that plane. And when it crashed into the ocean... God was righteous, good, holy, and just. Sovereign rule. You know, whatever it takes to reach you. Whatever the fallout is of your disobedience, it'll be no accident. God will be dealing with them as starring actors just as much as He was dealing with you. God, so We see God's sovereignty here. These sailors were saved by God's grace. All the while, God's trying to get a hold of a wayward prophet. God sends the storm. God sways the sailors. Finally, God shakes the sleeper. Nah, but the book of Jonah is written 
with Jonah as the starring role. He's the protagonist. He's the one that all of the, all of the perspective is built around Jonah. What happens to Jonah? He's the leading character. And Jonah is the one that God's after. He may accomplish all things according to the purposes of his own will and all the people surrounding this situation and the storm that comes, uh, comes to pass. But God's sights are on his servant. From the perspective of the book of Jonah, God's looking for his servant. When we see God shakes the sleeper. I want you to see Jonah's reckless slumber. Jonah's reckless slumber. But in verse number 5, And the mariners were afraid and cried every man to his God and cast forth the wares uh, that were into the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. Man, it's all panic up on deck. Everybody's going crazy. Everybody's calling on their God. Everybody don't know what to do. Everybody's looking for a way to get out of this. And what happened down below? But Jonah was gone down to the sides of the ship and he lay and was fast asleep. There is a hurricane raging outside. And the boat is rocking and reeling. And where's Jonah? Fast asleep below deck. The word fast here is a word used in Judges to describe the sleep of Sisera. Do you know Sisera? In the book of Judges, there was a, I believe he was an Assyrian a Syrian warrior, and he came down uh, to mess with Israel, and he was oppressing the people, and God turned the situation, and the Israelis were now chasing Sisera. He'd been fighting for days. He's running from his life, and so he sees a tent, and he runs into that tent, and there is little J.L., a Hebrew woman, sitting there in the tent all by herself. And he commands that she, that he be able to lie down and sleep for a moment. She gives him a warm cup of milk and, and puts, a, puts a rug over him and he falls fast asleep. So fast that he couldn't hear J.L. with a tent peg in her hand and a hammer in the other sneaking up to his temple to drive it into the ground. He was asleep. And there was a threat all around him. Jonah is in the same situation. The harder the storm wrapped, the more his hammock swayed back and forth. And the deeper into sleep he went, and yet danger was all around him. Danger lined every place around here. When he arrived on the boat, he took a big sigh of relief. Oh, I made it. He stretched his arms. That was a long drive from northern Israel down to Joppa. Drive walk. I think I'll. I think I'll just stretch out here, find me a hammock, and breathe a sigh of relief. Stretch his arm, and then he, then he pretended like it was a carnival cruise, and he went to sleep. Carrie and I, when we went on our honeymoon. Uh, Everything was a frantic pace up to the wedding. I'd been working feverishly to get the house ready so we could move into once we were married. 
I've been working late nights and working at my job and working in the evening at the house trying to get it get ready. And then we had the wedding and everything that goes in the wedding and all the emotions and all the, all the planning and everything that had to be gotten. I had to get my hair done. I had to get my tugs. I had to, had to get everything. And then we stayed up late with a bunch of the guys that night before the wedding. And we got through the wedding. And then we, we went to the wedding. We woke up the next morning. We had to get to the airplane, get to the airport, and fly out to Miami. We finally got to Miami and got on the boat and got it situated and unpacked the stuff. And when we got there, we just sat down on the bed. We slept through, what was it, what was it, uh, huh, the key, we slept through Key West. I'd always want to go to Sloppy Joe's and Key West, and, and you know, all the songs Jimmy Buffett writes about Key West, I always want to, slept right through. Jonah's been running for his life, now he feels like he's in the bottom of this boat, nobody can find him, and he's falling fast asleep. And he's probably falling asleep to Alabama's song, Feel So Right. got peace, tranquility. He's sleeping. He's sleeping like never before. One Bible commentator said, peace may be the fruit of carnal security or a seared conscience. He is, a, he is sleeping like a baby. No tossing and turning in the night. You know, fickle feelings are no litmus test for right or wrong. You've made, a, you've made a decision to directly disobey God, to go against His Word, to do what you want to do. The truth of the matter is, you've been able to sleep real good about it. You're getting a good night's rest. Everything seems to be going good. Everything's okay. I mean, it's just, it just feels so right. Listen, do not trust fickle feelings. I've obeyed the will of God and been kept up for nights and kept up with sleeplessness and agitation and, and concern and worry because I obeyed God. Listen to me. Your feelings are not a litmus test of God's smile, of God's approval. Just because you can go to bed tonight because you're, and you're stealing from your employer does not mean... You're in the will of God. You're doing what's right. Jonah is numb by his disobedience. You say, Brother Ronnie, this is the first time Jonah's been on a boat and run from God. No, 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 no. The first time Jonah sinned against God was when he looked up toward Nineveh and said no. The second time is when he turned his back. The third time was the first step. The fourth time was the second step. The fifth time was the third step. All the way down to Joppa, he's been telling God, no, no, no. God's been giving him chance after chance after chance to get right. When he bought the ticket, he said no. When he got walked down the gangplank, he said no. When he got into the and situated his stuff, he said no. When he got into the hammock, he said no. By that time, it's just a callous. A callous. It doesn't even bother him anymore. He's been in the sin of disobedience so many times. 1 Timothy 4.2 speaks of a conscience that is seared with a hot iron. Like a hot iron on the skin that will scar the skin. And again and again it will cause the skin to be hard. To have callus on the hand, on the skin. God says our conscience can be the same, same way. Of all the men on board the ship, the one who was in the wrong... Who was running from God is the only one that's cool as a cucumber. I mean, Jonah's not afraid. Jonah's sleeping like a baby. Jonah's never got such good rest. 
Is that you? You're disobeying God in your lifestyle right now. You're disobeying the, the clear word of God. And when you do it the first time, you open your eyes. Nothing happens. And you do it the second time. No lightning bolts. And you do it the third time. No earthquake. And you do it the fourth time. And the fifth time. And you think, you think God's long suffering and mercy is God's permission. Well, you got special, you got a special hall pass. God gave you a special hall pass to sleep around. God gave you a special hall pass to uh, to look at pornography. God gave you a special hall pass. And the truth of the matter is, there is no such thing as a hall pass. There's no such thing as a free ride. God is going to deal with you just like He dealt with Jonah. No matter how callous your heart may be. No matter how your heart may think it's alright. It feels so good. Listen, God's going to God's gonna deal with you. Every step toward Joppa got easier. Lying, buying the ticket was easy. The baggage, the climbing into the hammock. Everything was easy. Are you asleep in your sins? Are you asleep this morning? Taking for granted the fact that God chastens His own. As a father chasteneth His son, so God expresses His love by chastening. And you think, well God, I'm just special. I, I'm just special because not God never chastens me. Number one, you may be a bastard and not a son. You may not be the fathers. Or number two, He is long-suffering and merciful. And your time's coming. Your woodship. Your woodshed journey is just around the corner. Are you sleeping? You can be assured a rude awakening is on its way. Jonah's reckless slumber, but also Jonah's reproving strike. Verse number 6, And so the shipmaster came to him and sent him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, and if it be the God will think on us, that we perish not. All of a sudden, Jonah's awakened by this frantic captain. I can see the captain grabbing by the lapels. Who are you? What are you doing down here? We're about to die. We're going down to the bottom of the ocean. And you're in here sleeping. It's a choke. What are you doing asleep? Wake up and call your, on your God. It is the pagan captain that is the prophet of God to Jonah the prophet who is the, who is the sinning hearer. The roles are reversed. He's supposed to be the prophet and now this pagan is the one preaching to him. Boy, you ever had, you ever had that happen? Down at the workplace, you do something wrong, some pagan comes up, I thought you were supposed to be a Christian. You're one of us. You're all right. He's preaching a message. He's preaching to you a wake-up call. In a moment, Jonah awakens in the storm of his life. That's the way sin seduces. Sin seduces us like it did Samson. It lulls us into Delilah's lap. It lulls us into giving up what power we have with God, what position we have with God, until it's too late. The hair is cut. The Philistines are upon thee. And you go out to shake yourself as other times. And the Spirit of God is departed. And God's strength is gone. Now I know, I know that not every storm 
that comes into a life is due to sin. You've probably been wondering, well, Brother Ronnie, not every storm has to do with my sin. You sound like one of them Pentecostal preachers. You sound like one of them, uh, one of them uh, uh, prosperity preachers. If you just do right, you'll never have a storm. I didn't say that. Job was an upright and honest man, righteous before God. And all through the book of Job, they're accusing him of sin when God never lays an accusing finger on, Job, on, on Job's sin. Job suffered to glorify God. God uh, the disciples looked at a blind man in John chapter number 9, I believe, and they, they said, listen, who sinned, this man or his father or mother that sinned, that he may be blind? And God said, no, this is for the glory of God. Neither one, nobody sinned for the glory of God. Job, Job suffered for the glory of God. Not every storm has to do with your sin. But truth be known, we come to church. We try to act like Jonah. Y'all pray for me. I'm going through a storm. I'm suffering. I don't know why this has happened to me. And you try to portray like you're Job. Righteous and upright. And the truth be known, you're Jonah and you know it. You wouldn't tell anybody. You wouldn't say it to anybody, but you know you're Jonah. You know why the storm has arrived. You know why it's come upon you. Jonah knows exactly what's going on. He's no fool. Listen. Wake up. Wake up, says the captain. Call upon your God. Turn up from your sin and disobedience today. Turn to God. Cry out to God. Wake up. Teenager, wake up. Young adult, wake up. Mom and dad, wake up. Call upon your God. Don't continue to journey in your sin. Stop being a fool. Taking yourself and everybody with you down to the bottom of the sea. Get right with God today. Not only Jonah's reckless slumber and Jonah's reproving strike, but I want you to see Jonah's relentless Savior. Notice in verse number 6, So the shipmaster came to him and said to him, What meanest thou, sleeper, arise? Call upon thy God. Thy God. Jonah may be a million miles away from God. He may be as callous as he can ever be. But Jonah's God is still Jehovah. God still lays claim to his own. Is God trying to kill Jonah? Is God trying to take him to the bottom of the sea? No. This Perfectly hurled storm is aimed at rescuing Jonah. At redeeming Jonah. At restoring Jonah. That storm you curse, that storm that's got you so frantic, may be what God's sending to reclaim you. Recapture your heart. Bring your love back to Jehovah. Bring a yes sir into your mouth. God, I'll do what you want me to do. I'll go where you want me to go. With every step toward Tarsus, God has, 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 has talked, has talked until He's blue in the face. The conscience has reared its head so much so that it does, no, Jonah's not even listening anymore. But God doesn't throw up His hands. God doesn't say, if that's the way you want it, fine, sleep with the fishes. Go on down there. I'm going to take you to the bottom of the sea and be done with you for the rest of your life. I'm never going to deal with you again. No, that's not our God. That's not our God. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. 
He's the God of the second chances. He's a God that will not let you go. God releases the hand, the hounds of heaven to chase relentlessly His servant back to God. The God of love it used a famine to drive the prodigal son back to the father. God used the God used the bony finger of a prophet to send David back to God in repentance. Jesus is willing to use extraordinary measures to get a hold of us. I like what John Calvin said. He said this. He said, so we see that the Lord cares for His people when they care not for themselves. Jonah didn't care anymore. I don't care what God does to me. Whatever, I'm not going to, I'm not going to Nineveh. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not going there. I'm not telling, I'm not telling the truth. I, I don't care what God does to me. I don't care if it drowns me in the ocean. When we get to that point, when you get to that point, you say, I don't, I don't care. I don't care what happens to me. I'm going to fornicate. I'm going to, I'm going to have premarital sex. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to drink alcohol. I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to take these pills. I don't care what happens to me. There's a loving God in heaven that does care. That loves you enough to never let you go. No matter how much you hate God. No matter how much you refuse Him. He'll never let you go. He is that great shepherd that still runs and seeks His sheep. He looks, he leaves the 99 and looks for the wayward sheep. He is the great shepherd that says to his father, of all these you've given me, I have lost none of them. He'll not lose you, child of God. In your rebellion, in your sin, he'll not let you go. He'll not let you go. God has a relentless pursuit for us even when we run on the high seas. He knows you by name. He counts the hairs on your head every night. In love and compassion, He calls for you in the darkness of your environment. Come home. Come home to God. Come home to God. Get right with God today. Wake up today. Run as far as you can. Hide as deep as you will. And God still sees. In verse number 6, the captain says, Arise, call upon thy God. If so be that God will... Notice the phrase, think upon us. The captain says, maybe God will think on us. The word think on us, or the phrase, it means to be calm. To be smooth. To make... Shiny or clean. This captain says, call on your God. Because He may respond and calm these troubled waters. He may make the storm pass by. He may make these seas just like glass. Call upon your God, Jonah. Call upon Him. Listen. There is a God in heaven that can calm the storm. Time and time again, Jesus stood on bows of ships and spoke to the wind and waves, Be still! They calmed in a moment. Your storm may well come. It may well be violent, but it could end today when you call upon your God. 
When you call upon Him, He may make it tranquil waters. Jesus may once again walk on your troubled seas and say, peace be still. Call upon Him today. Call upon Him today. God sees even on the high seas. Let's stand to our feet as we come to a song of invitation. Every head bowed and every eye closed. No one looking in this room this morning. If God's dealing with your heart. You're a sailor caught up on the ship. You didn't ask for this and yet you're thrust into it. Because God has His eye on you. He's bringing you to saving faith. Come, trust Jesus Christ. Repent and believe the gospel. Forsake your way of sin and come kneel at the cross. Embrace Him in saving faith. Own Christ as Lord and Savior. If you're here this morning and you're Jonah, running from God, you've disobeyed God so many times that that you have developed a, 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 a calloused heart. Your conscience is seared with a hot iron. Hear the voice of the prophet. Hear the voice of the captain of the ship frantically shaking you. Call upon your God. Call upon your God this morning. Return unto Him. Let us come to the Lord, Hosea says. Let us make things right with Him. In this squabble between you and God, come make it right. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. And I pray you'd speak to hearts in this invitation time. We ask this in Jesus' name. Kevin, what song? 371, have thine own way. Why don't you let God have his way? You come, come and respond. Have thine own way, Lord. I'm trusting to the unseen hand. We hope and pray that today's episode of the Unseen Hand podcast has been a help and blessing to you. For more information such as other podcasts, ministry helps, blog posts, previous sermons, or how to contact Brother Brown directly, just go to RonnieBrown.net. Join us next time for another message from Brother Ronnie on the Unseen Hand podcast. Until then, may God's unseen hand gently guide you on your journey home. The Unseen Hand.